Hello and welcome to Euractive's Yellow Room. I am Evie Kiori and on the very first episode of this podcast, we are focusing on the Aviation Sector Sustainability Plan to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050. And we are looking into depth what is happening with the implementation of the EU's recovery plan by the pandemic and how are the investors viewing the European market. To grasp on the latest developments on the Aviation Sustainability Plan, I am joined today by Euractiv's Transport Editor, Sean Galding Carroll. The European airline industry has come up with a plan to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050. So what is that plan including and which steps is the industry planning to follow? There are several different sections to this plan. Uh, one of the prime uh, areas which they're focusing on is what's called SAFs, or Sustainable Aviation Fuels. SAFs are synthetic fuels which can be blended with kerosene. Apparently, there are many ways to make SAFs. Some of them come from biomass, which is usually organic material collected in forests or grown in order to be used and converted into biofuels. But also SAFs can be made with the use of e-kerosene, which is chemically processed in laboratories and apparently is more sustainable. But how can SAFs be used by the airlines? At the moment, SAFs can just be rolled out. You don't need to you know, change your airline fleet. You can essentially just blend them with kerosene, put them into the planes, fly as normal. Um, one thing is that a lot of airlines and a lot of engine manufacturers are looking to change their engines so that they can use 100% SAFs. When this discussion comes up, there's two big areas that people tend to focus on. And these are electric planes and hydrogen-powered planes. These are certainly promising technologies, and the airline industry acknowledges that. But uh, the issue with them is that they won't be rolled out uh, in the short term. And how feasible is to reach carbon neutrality in the aviation sector? And when will the companies be able to switch to electric planes or hydrogen? It really depends on how the technology develops. Uh, the airline industry is saying that uh, huge strides forward can be made in terms of rolling out hydrogen planes. They're targeted 2035. By 2035, they're hoping to basically have new aircrafts that can use uh, liquid hydrogen and that these can actually go much further than uh, electric planes, for example. So you could actually even have long-haul flights powered by hydrogen. In terms of electric flights, the Issue is that uh, at the moment, the capacity of planes that are powered by electricity is much less in terms of the number of passengers that they can take on board. So if, if you think about the, the type of um, capacity that a, a, you know, an aircraft going from London to New York has, um, at the moment, there's no way that that could be made electric. So um, that will require you know, a lot more investment, a lot more innovation. And what the industry wants is they want the EU to basically create a regulatory environment that allows them to make these investments without the level of risk they have at the moment. So they basically want the EU to de-risk their investments into innovation in the fields of electric flights and hydrogen-powered flights. And Sean, in one of your articles on Euractiv.com, 
You were mentioning that ministers from eight European countries asked the Commission to incentivize the uptake of sustainable aviation fuels. But what was the plan presented by the eight EU members? One of the big reasons that the uh, the ministers are pushing for sustainable aviation fuels is that at the moment, sustainable aviation fuels are much more expensive uh, than regular fuels. Um, and part of the reason for this is that there's a lack of supply um, and there's also then, you know, a, a relatively limited demand. So by making it mandatory, then uh, all of a sudden we'll see the supply go up and we'll see the prices drop. And how did the Commission react to that plan and what could follow next? So the Commission is, is on board. They're going to roll out a plan uh, in either March or potentially April uh, called Refuel EU. And Refuel EU will look at decarbonizing the aviation sector uh, with a focus on sustainable aviation fuels. So it's going to set a, what's called a blending mandate where they must use you know, X percent of SAFs along with the kerosene when they fly. Well, aviation and transport in general, I would say, was one of the hardest hit sectors by the pandemic. And, you know, the logic says that most companies are just trying to survive. So maybe the focus is not necessarily reaching the carbon neutrality goals right now. But is there a plan by the EU to further support the sector financially? You're absolutely right when you say that the airline industry has been badly hit by the pandemic. Uh, so at the moment, airlines across the continent are seeking bailouts to the tune of 32.9 billion euro uh, just to cover the downturn wrought by the crisis, essentially. Um, and this includes major carriers like Air France, or Lufthansa, KLM, and so on. Um, a lot of environmentalists have reacted angrily to this. They point out that when airlines were asked to include flights outside of Europe into the emissions trading scheme, which uh, sets a price for carbon emissions, the airline said that it's, it's not possible as they run an international business. Uh, but when they're in trouble, now the, the environmentalists say that they're very happy to be a national company bailed out by a national government. So the European Commission uh, has basically given the okay for national governments to bail out uh, the ailing airlines. So the reason the European Commission is involved is, of course, they need to check that it's in line with uh, state aid rules and that it doesn't um, distort competition. So uh, Ryanair, for example, the Irish Low Fares airline, they're very angry at this um, because they say that it's they've actually launched legal action against the European Commission over its decision, uh, for example, to approve the Dutch government's 3.4 billion euro in state aid for their national carrier, uh, KLM. Um, and Ryanair wants the European Court of Justice to annul the Commission's decision to allow this. Um, and they also want the Commission to pay any legal costs from their challenge. And since we are talking about the impact of the pandemic on the airline industry, I have to ask about the ghost flights. And if you could explain to us why are the companies choosing to fly empty airplanes and how sustainable is that in the end? So if we go back before the COVID-19 pandemic, to maintain access to takeoff and landing slots at airports, airlines had to ensure that at least 80% of their flights departed as promised to keep access to the slots in the following season. And this was known as the use it or lose it rule. So in uh, February or March, when the pandemic really hit in Europe, rapidly airline passenger levels started to drop 
and eventually they fell to almost nothing to a trickle. Um, however, the user lose it rule for slots was still in place and the airlines were, were very worried about losing their access. So they basically started to fly almost empty planes just so that they maintained their access to these slots. And uh, almost nobody was happy about this. So the industry said it was a waste of money, that they're burning fuel and environmentalists are very concerned about emissions being generated for essentially no reason. Uh, so the EU decided that they needed to do something and they passed a waiver. So they, they suspended this use it or lose it rule um, until the 27th of March, 2021. If you enjoyed what Sean had to say on aviation and carbon neutrality, you can visit Euractive.com to discover the latest developments on transport and environment. You're listening to Euractiv's Yellow Room. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other EU policy fields, you can listen to our Digital Brief podcast and AgriFood Brief podcast. You can find them on your favorite podcast app. Moving on a different topic, the EU is to face a new economic crisis caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. To gain a better understanding on the EU recovery fund flow and the Commission's next steps to achieve financial stability within the Union, I spoke with Euractiv's economy and trade editor, Jorge Valero. So, Jorge, there are concerns that the implementation of the recovery and resilience plans will be delayed. Why do we have these delays and what are the authorities worried about? I would say that uh, rather than delays, complaints and the concerns are related to the slow uh, pace of the implementation of the fund because uh, if we look back the political agreement to set up this uh, unprecedented uh, recovery fund 750 billion uh, 800 billion actually in current prices was reached uh, last uh, july and since then european parliament member states have been working on the details of the recovery and resilience facility which is the main pillar of the recovery fund and what is expected from the countries receiving the recovery funds? In fact, Thursday, 18th of February, will be the details of the, this regulation will be published and member states can submit their national recovery plans to access their part of the recovery funds. That's the tough part, indeed, because uh, these plans have to be uh, validated by the Commission, which will take two months, and afterwards by the member states, which is another additional month. So... The reforms and the investments that the countries are proposing have to be aligned with the recommendations that the Commission has given to uh, the countries over the past uh, two years in the economic field, uh, especially, for example, in terms of reforming their administration, reforming the labor market, uh, reforming their education system, and some other tough reforms, for example, in terms of the pension system. So some of these proposals and reforms are highly controversial and highly political, and they're going to spark a very strong debate within the member states. And then member states have to ratify the so-called uh, own resources decision, which is basically uh, the decision to authorize the EU uh, to borrow from the markets to finance the recovery fund, the 800 billion. Uh, euros. Uh, basically, what they're going to do is to increase the budgetary ceiling of the EU in order for the Commission to, to borrow this money from the markets. And you wrote on Euractive.com that the first tranche of payments will not start before June. 
So what would that mean for the economies that are depending on the funds? For instance, the economies of the Southern European countries. Member states will ratify the antisocial decision more or less by late uh, spring, and then three months for approval process will be June. So we could say that as from June, uh, funds will start to flow. And it's not like a life or death, uh, let's say, uh, decision uh, for for these countries. I mean, if we look at Italy and Spain, these countries are the two largest beneficiaries of of the fund but we have to look at the whole picture first of all these countries are going to the markets right now in very good conditions to finance their recovery because the ecb is buying a lot of uh, sovereign bonds so the markets are let's say uh, very calm and there are not the tensions we cannot see the tensions that we we witness uh, during the eurozone crisis and secondly, uh, there are no, let's say, concerns in, in, in terms of the fiscal discipline because the Stability and Growth Pact uh, rules are suspended uh, this year. Of course, the funds are very much needed. Uh, and the concern is that if the impact is delayed further down the road, that will drag further the, the recovery in case of uh, these uh, hard-hit countries. And Europe as a whole, which is already losing ground compared uh, with the U.S. and China in terms of the recovery. And how are the investors perceiving this delay? Are they concerned as well? The chief of the European Stability Mechanism said the other day that there were concerns among investors uh, because of the the speed of the implementation of the recovery fund and the recovery plans. Because it will be almost one year since the political agreement was reached to set up uh, this uh, macro-European stimulus, the recovery fund. We, and this is a long time, but we cannot forget that actually, uh, I mean, this is not the only stimulus that has been implemented in Europe, I mean, because national countries have implemented their own stimulus. But of course, I mean, the aggregated impact of this fund is gonna be is going to be significant. But as we saw with the vaccine strategy, I mean, time is of essence. Uh, we saw how problematic the implementation of complex uh, strategies could be. So let's see. I mean, fingers crossed for the recovery fund, but I think it's not going to be an easy ride. And after thanking Jorge for offering an overview on what is happening with the EU funds, I would like to remind you that you can find out more on the matter on Euractiv.com. I am Evie Chiori, and this was Euractiv's Yellow Room. We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, visit Euractive.com for the latest news. And don't forget to listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thank you very much for listening.